As you know, the On Farm podcast is brought to you by the team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. And I just wanted to remind you about a new initiative that's happening here called On Record. On Record is a project to preserve voices, stories and memories for the future with your very own audio recording. So we're recording memories of rural life. We're travelling around Scotland, working with families and organisations to capture precious voices of family members or staff members or long-serving office bearers to preserve those for posterity and sometimes for historical value. So if you think this project is something that you'd like to be involved in and maybe you have a grandparent or a parent that you'd like to capture on audio while you can, please do get in touch. You can find out more at onrecordmemories.co.uk. Trudging through snow, eh? It's probably better than mud, I suppose. It's Monty here for this week's On Farm podcast. And before we get properly started, I just want to introduce you to two special guests. You can hear Surf, he's calling for his tea. Betty's a bit quieter. These are our two ponies. We love this pair dearly, they're part of the family. Betty, she's a little black Shetland, she's really hairy, likes rolling in the snow. Surf, he's a Welsh, a little bit more precious, and he's got his um, full neck rug on. Are you warm under this rug? Let's see. Eh? Oh, you're toasty. You're toasty under this rug. Well done. Good lad. Betty's been with us for, for a good few years now. Um, she's taught um, our eldest daughter to ride, and... They did everything together. They've been, they've done common ridings, pony club, gymkhanas, uh, yeah, barrel racing and games and what have you, and a bit of hunting. Just a wonderful pony, Betty. And Surf, he came to us. Um, he's not been with us quite as long, but he's uh, he's a superstar as well. I mean, what a sweet pony. And why am I telling you all this? Well, I'm telling you all this because it, I think it's hopefully puts. Um, some context around what we're going to be chatting about in this week's episode. It was an emotional, this is going to be an emotional discussion. It was for me anyway. So today's podcast is about some new work that's being done to help find a solution to an absolute scourge of the horse world called equine grass sickness. It's a devastating disease, completely shuts down the animal's gut. No one knows what causes it. And yes, it does. It unfortunately seems to be more of a problem here in Scotland. It's pretty much fatal in most instances. We will hear it's sometimes possible to nurse horses through some forms of it, only with weeks of painstaking nursing care. He was completely fatigued and he wouldn't eat, so we syringe fed him for the first three weeks. You syringe fed a 17-200 variant, that must have taken a bit of doing. Yeah, he went from 750 kilos down to 596 in that three weeks. So it was painful watching him uh, drop weight so much. But now, now I'm pleased to say, 100 years after research was first started, a new fight back is being planned with a full-time research fellowship at the Morden Research Institute dedicated to finding solutions and a cure to this. Our idea really for the scientists is as soon as we're allowed, we will go to get all these experts in one room and really thrash this out using the information from the horse owners, 
the experience of the expert scientists in every field. Beth Wells is from the Modern Research Institute. We'll also hear in this episode from Sylvia Ormiston. Sylvia manages the Highland Pony Stud at Balmoral for Her Majesty the Queen. Sylvia, and I think it's fair to say Her Majesty herself, is a driving force behind this push for a cure at the Morden. In fact, the plan for a fellowship was first hatched over a cup of tea in Sylvia's kitchen. I'm overly excited about this, Monty, and I'm just so excited to actually be involved with it and be part of it. That came about after the Balmoral estate sadly lost five ponies in just ten months to equine grass sickness. Apparently Her Majesty just had time to say farewell to one of them before he was put down. He started to show signs of being sick on the Friday evening. The Queen came to see him on the Saturday. It was enough time that the Queen could actually come and see him. And if you want to say, to to actually say goodbye because there was nothing we could do. It just shows you that no matter who you are, no matter who the animal belongs to, you still can't save them. I'm going to call this episode a tribute to those five ponies. The first to fall was a two-year-old filly called Friendly. Then, 24 hours later, her mother, Clooney, died. A three-year-old gelding called Omar died a few weeks later. And then Lord and Hercules, both young stallions, died the following spring. Let's get into the chat properly now with Beth Wells from the Morden. Equine Grass Sickness fundraiser Yvonne McLean. And the next voice you'll hear, Sylvia Ormiston who breeds Highland Ponies for Her Majesty at Balmoral. For the first 54 years of my life, I'd never met grass sickness. It never affected me at all in all the years I had done horses and ponies. And um, two years, well, one year back to back, we lost five ponies in one year. So, yeah, it's had a massive effect on on me as far as the awareness and the fundraising etc and I'm so happy to be involved with this. Sylvia I'm gonna I'm gonna come to you on that so you lost five ponies with equine grass sickness. Yep in 2017 June 2017 our first case was a two-year-old filly who was in a field of five and she came to the gate a little bit lethargic and not as enthusiastic. She would normally be at the gate first saying, pick me, it was my breakfast first. She was always so keen. But she wandered up behind, rather lethargic, and we brought her in. And I was in complete denial about this. I was thinking, no, no, she's possibly got an impaction colic. And I was blinkered to grass sickness at that point. I was very, very aware of feeding everything, something else every day to try and make sure that it wasn't just grass intake. Everybody has hay in front of them all the time. They have a lick in front of them all the time. And they also get a very small hard feed every day of the year. Now, when we brought Friendly in, within three days, we then had to put her to sleep because she wasn't taking any liquids. Any, It was, it was a typical case of acute grass sickness. The following morning, we actually had to bring her mother in. She was stood there, she looked perfectly well, but she just wasn't 100% right. She looked distended through her belly, through her face, expression, everything looked okay. But the only thing that was the dead giveaway was the fact that her heart was racing at 100. It was sitting at 100, whereas at rest, it should have been, what, 36 to 42. It shouldn't be that high. She was sitting at 100, so that was the sign that she was in pain. There was no other pain. There was no other you know, she just looked normal because the signals from the gut to the brain were no longer getting to the brain to say, actually, you're in a lot of pain. So um, 
Sadly, we lost Clooney at that point. Uh, they did a post-mortem and we had a result the following week to say, yes, it was acute grass sickness. So, unfortunately, we lost mummy and daughter within the space of 24 hours. Two weeks later, we lost um, a three-year-old gelding. Then the following year, in the May, I was actually down at Windsor Horse Show and then I came home on the Saturday evening and Lucy phoned me for it while I was at Heathrow Airport ready to come home and uh, she said there's something wrong with Lord. Now Lord was a four-year-old colt stallion who was actually he was in his first year of work and all I kept saying for the four and a half hour journey home please let it be colic, please let it be colic and that's all that was going through my head because I thought well at least we can do something about it. When I got home I took one look at him and I said, no, it's not colic. And the vet came out and he was put to sleep. And again, within 12 days, we lost Hercules, our next breeding stallion. So both of our boys that were our 10-year plan, we lost within a fortnight. You couldn't write it. That's difficult. We'll come on to, to where the research is going, but does that sound to you as though there's some sort of climatic factor at play the specific sort of weather conditions might be triggering something in the grass or something in the ground or, or, or whatever? The the year before, with Clooney, Friendly and Omar, it was it had been beautiful weather and then it went bitterly cold, easterly winds, rain, sideways rain, and it's almost like the ground then goes into stress as, as well as the gut stress within, within the pony. They're already in their summer coat. They've lost all their, their winter protection. All of a sudden, they then develop this... Um, this cold, you know, where they have to start turn their tail into the wind. Uh, the following year with the two boys, we didn't have that dramatic change. But what we did have was we had 26 degrees during the day down to two degrees at night because we still had ground frost. And that was in the May. But it was beautiful, sunny, sunny weather. It was It was stunning weather. And it was very warm through the day and then it went dramatically cold at night. So then you end up with possibly stressed grass. I, I don't know. Um, but again, the ponies were being fed every day. Ponies were had hay in front of them every day. But when it's so beautiful and the grass is growing, they go and eat it. You can't, unless you put them onto the dirt, uh, you know, because that was my next question. I said, what, you know, do we just, do we just burn all the grass off? Do we, do we just have them standing on dirt paddocks? I was then told it's not the grass, it's the soil. It comes through the grass. It's carried in the soil and it is contained within the grass. But there's obviously like a huge amount of angles at where it can actually affect each animal. Um, Beth, Beth Wells at Morden. Beth, could you give us just the, the, the sort of the medical background, if that's the right word to use for equine grass sickness, you know, symptoms and what we see, how it presents itself? Yes, yeah, so it's, it's a disease that we've known about for a long time, for, for really for over 100 years. And it was first noticed in farm working horses and in army mounts. Um, this sort of wasting disease, it seemed to be associated with horses at grass. And we now we now know this as, as equine grass sickness. And we have sort of three different types of it. So we have a, a chronic type, a subacute type and an acute type. And with the acute types, the ponies or the horses are just very sick, very ill, no gut movement, nothing happening. Ponies get um, can either present with either extreme colic symptoms 
um, or just won't move. They just almost freeze. Um, these are unfortunately put to sleep as soon as the vets see them. Um, we have other other um, sort of chronic types that can actually survive grass sickness, and a proportion of these do so. And these are a more longer term, not quite so acute form of the disease, but the, the presentation is quite similar in that the gut seems to stop working. You get a reduction in gut noises. You don't get much poo coming out the other end. You get very little going in the front end. So reluctance to eat and, and drooling and saliva. The pony very tucked up and very miserable. And I think probably Yvonne and, and Sylvia will tell you more about that because they have direct experience of it. It seems to be associated with various parts of the country, so it tends to be down the east side, East Highlands, Aberdeenshire, a big area, Murrayshire, and then it tends to go right down the east coast of England, so it's very interesting, but not exclusively so. And it's always been thought to be linked with climate, there's been a climatic link. So we know there's an environmental component to the disease, um, as well as probably a biological component, and that's possibly why the causes have never really been found in that it's multifactorial. We know there's lots of different aspects involved and not just within the horse itself. And this is really where this project was born. Um, and it was actually born in Sylvia's kitchen one day over a cup of tea, but I think probably all good projects are. And Sylvia was really telling us from, from, from her perspective and how it affected her and how frustrating really the direction of play was was at the at the moment um, and and that's when this whole fellowship idea this is this is where it came from Sylvia you're nodding there you're running how, how many um how many ponies are in the stud uh, we've got approximately 40 yeah uh, friendly was in a field of 5 Clooney was in a field of 11 omar was in a field of 3 Lord was in a field of two and Hercules was on his own, but Hercules's broodmares were across the fence from him, eating the very same grass on the same pasture, just on the other side of the fence. So, you know, it is so random. You know, you know that it's affecting from all different angles. You don't know what's causing it because there's Clooney in a field of 11 and she's the only person that was affected and everybody else was fine. Now, they all eat the same. They all drink the same. They all are exercised the same. There was nothing different. So what was the trigger? And every single case that we've had have been ac acute. Acute to uh, the, the acute being no return. Mm. So there was no gut noise. Yeah. Uh, they weren't able to pass any dung. Uh, they, they aren't able to eat. They aren't able to drink. And, you know, the, that's it. They're doomed. There is no return. They are dead on the inside. That's that's it. That's they're dead on the inside. That the gut stopped working. They can't eat. They can't drink. That's horrific. Absolutely bloody horrific. And it's it, it's so devastating because you're standing there wishing you could do something for what looks like a perfectly healthy animal, but their heart is racing to the point that they're saying there's something wrong with me. What's wrong with me? Their eyes are looking normal. Everything's looking normal, but they're they're, you know, that they would just suddenly stop and die. It would ju they would just die. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of speechless. I'm 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 speechless listening to that. What goes through your head dealing with that, Sylvia? Um. Well, 
having even the likes of Hercules, the the last boy that we lost in the May, we actually had a visit at the time when Her Majesty was here. He started to show sick, signs of being sick on the Friday evening and um, the Queen came to see him on the Saturday. He was still in a comfortable state, shall we say. His, he was... He wasn't at the welfare you would class as a welfare stage at the time, but it was not, it was enough time that the Queen could actually come and see him, and if you want to say to say to actually say goodbye, because there was nothing we could do. Now it just shows you that no matter who you are, no matter who the animal belongs to, you still can't save them, and that is why. I am so excited about what is actually happening now because it feels like we've actually almost like turned a corner and invited so many other people to jump on this train and keep picking up people at the station and keep this train moving and keep funding it and making people aware of what a, a, a devastating disease this is. You know, if I, if I can talk about even going back to Clooney, Clooney was a seven-year-old mare who carried deer, she carried stags, she was a basket pony, she carried the panniers for the grouse. She had been bred on the estate. We had obviously eight years' investment in that, gone just like that. Now, you can't go and buy a pony like that. You can't buy a pony. that You can't just simply go onto HorseQuest or, or even the Highland Pony Society website and say, I'd like to buy a deer pony, one that carries deer baskets, it's a ridden pony, blah de blah They're not there to buy. So all of a sudden... All that investment, the time, the effort, the finance was gone in the blink of an eye. And I think that's what happened way back with the ponies on the farms, way, way back before the tractors. And the farmers were losing their, their, their plough horses to the point that they, they, they couldn't replace them quick, quick enough because they were dying of grass sickness. But also, as you say, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, you, you can't buy your way out of that. Just what you said, the, the, the gut, the, the horse is, is dying on the inside. It's, it's awful. Yvonne, you had a case of equine grass sickness and, and your horse has, has pulled through, but it still it's inspired you to, to, to try and raise some funds um, to help fight this. Could you, do you want to give us a little bit of an insight into your case and, and, and why it's inspired you to, to do the fundraising? Yeah, so... Um... Mal had come down, we'd had some really wet weather, same as Sylvia, and then it went really dry. And he'd come down to the gate to meet us one day, and he'd been, uh, we had a water trough that uh, constantly uh, had a drip, so the downside of the water trough was always quite muddy, and he'd been digging in that, and Mal is always, uh, I bred Mal from when he was a fool, if there was going to be any trouble, he would be in the middle of it. So he came down one day and his face was all covered in mud. Sorry to interrupt, can I just ask, so who who is Mal? What, what type of horse is he? is he? He's not a Highland as well, is he? No, Mal's a Hanoverian, uh, so a warm blood, um, 17-2, so completely op- opposite to the natives. So Very different, yeah, very different, yeah. Uh, he, as I say, he came down from the field covered in mud one day, full of mischief, behaving as normal. I never thought anything of it. And it was about 10 days after that we were uh, getting the farrier that morning. And it was August, so he was out of grass as normal. And he was last in for the farrier, which is unlike him, because he's normally the first one wanting attention. 
And the minute he turned uh, after he got up the hill to come and meet me, um, I knew he was sick. So we put him in the stable, we phoned the vet and the vet came out and the first vet didn't actually diagnose grass sickness. They thought he might have had an infection. But we have another vet who uh, trained at Newmarket. So he came up the following day and he diagnosed grass sickness and said prepare for the worst. So he done a marvellous job with him. Uh, his heart rate was up at 65, 66, so not quite as high as uh, Sylvia's. He was lucky in that he didn't have colic as such. He wasn't presenting lots of uh, stomach pain, but he was very tucked up and he had the the standard elephant stance that they, they um, associate with grass sickness in that his back legs were underneath him. Okay, so elephant stance. T- tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, so they, they tend to try and stand with their legs more together than they would if they're comfortable. And if you can picture an elephant standing on the the circus drum, if you like, with all four legs together, that's where the, the, the name comes from. So they stand very much with their back legs right underneath them. Uh, and he had that typical stance. However, when we got to the three-week mark, one of the feed companies had sent out a bag of samples, and we opened uh, one of the bags, and he decided that was what he wanted to eat, so he ate the whole bag. So we rummaged around the rest of the bag till we found another of the same sample, and he ate that too. Then the problem was getting some of that feed from the local stockists, as no, nobody stocked it. So we eventually found it and uh, got some delivered. And from that point on, he ate himself, which was pretty much the turning point. Uh, once they start eating themselves, you're, you know, you're you're on the right road. So, fourteen weeks, pretty much, of intensive nursing. By the time we hit November, I knew we had a survivor. But it was difficult going, very difficult going. It almost cost me my marriage. My husband took a, a breakdown following. So, yeah, it was tough. So the following year, I decided to do something, um, to put something back to the Grass Sickness Fund. They've got a huge awareness following. Uh, there's an awareness group on Facebook where there's 6,000 people follow that page. Um, and I got huge support from that page. Um, advice and people who had gone through it just chipping in and uh, seeing how well he was looking and the progress and keep fighting and so we'd done the first show we raised £5,700 the first year doing the show and some raffles and the odd bit and it's just grown from there Where's the show about Yvonne? Where, where, do you, where does the show take place? It's up in the it's up in the Black Isle on the Sheep Park Farm in the Black Isle. We do it every August. So, Sylvie so actually came up and judged for us in 2019. That was our last show. So um, it's, a, it's a good fun show. It's uh, friendly and it, we try and make it so that everyone can attend whether they normally show or not. It was a great, it was a great day out and they, cater, they catered very well for the judges. Yeah. <laughs> So from my point of view, as a horse owner, um, I have very little, I mean, I'm no scientist. I didn't know anything really about grass sickness. I studied horses, but grass sickness wasn't really focused on um, when I studied it. It was it was a quick oversee 
of grass sickness. I had seen one case before. Um, it was an acute case uh, in a place that I worked with a small Highland pony. But other than that, I knew nothing about grass sickness. So it's a steep learning curve for me. But I think as horse owners who have gone through it or maybe know a little bit about it, the only thing that we can do to support is by funding and fundraising. So this year with the with the future research that's planned and all the different avenues that they're planning going down simultaneously, it's exciting. But we as horse owners have to support that. And we can't just keep thinking, oh, it's been about 100 years, they're never going to solve it. We will never solve the puzzle without without that support in the in the money going in the pot. So that's why I'm passionate about the, the fundraising part. Beth, Beth, let's properly name check what we're trying to do here. What is it we're what is it that we're we're referring to here? It's a new fellowship at the Morden. Yes, that that's right, Monty. So the timing of this um really landed very well to be honest for us, particularly because having just um, celebrated our centenary year Part of our centenary projects were to increase our fellowship numbers within the Institute. So this is bringing in young scientists from different areas of work just to take a fresh look at areas of work that were particularly difficult. So we already um, have had three of those fellows started when we first chatted about this project in Sylvia's kitchen, then took it to the Equine Grass Sickness Fund. And this fellowship, this new fellowship, has actually been funded jointly by Morden and also by the Equine Grass Sickness Fund. So that's directly the fundraising that people like like Yvonne are doing. So that's just how critical that part of it is. We now have a new fellow. So um, we've got Dr. Cathy Gare, who is just fresh off a horse trust grant with a massive amount of experience in different areas of science that will be important for this project. Kathy started last week and is just flying already. So she is getting her head round everything that's happening. And there's a massive amount going on in the background on the lead up to this. Kathy is just ready to go. Our first threads really are to get the promotion in place, to hold some open meetings with vets and with horse owners um, in conjunction with the equine industry. And we'll build on that on successive years. That's fantastic. I hope that um, listeners to this uh, podcast episode, I hope that we can do a bit from this to, to help raise awareness. Um, and I guess it's like anything, you know, it's there, there's no there's no cure. There's no there's no route to success with these things unless people can a research and b and b fund that research. So, you know, I hope that people listening will will help with that. I guess also more than have a, a, a real pedigree in this because your your model, if you like, is 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 based on working with farmers and and putting the farmers in 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 contact with the scientists. So again, we're we're reaching out here, aren't we, to to horse owners um and and to vets in the equine world to to come forward. The way to do this is not just to be working on it in isolation in a lab, but to be really getting out there, speaking to the horse owners, looking at the individual circumstances and individual horses, and that's where we might get some answers. Yeah, that, that's exactly right, Monty. I think one of Morden's big strengths is our association, our very close working relationship, actually, with the farming community. So we've always listened to farmers and basically our, our research will be directed by that, as we've heard in, in, in other podcasts. 
But actually, um, this is just turned around a little bit. And this is listening to horse owners who are livestock keepers, just like farmers are, and gathering that information, which, you know, has been lost. And even this is, you know, gold dust information, Sylvia and Yvonne have just talked about on the run up to disease, what they noticed, what they saw, how the horse reacted. There will be common threads throughout those cases. And that will be our job to collect all of that data and then to analyse that along with all the biological and environmental data and really hope we can start to see some risks or some common causes coming out. You'd actually hope that with horses it may be a bit more straightforward because, you know, in general, horse owners are maybe looking at one or two animals and they're paying paying really close attention, maybe much more so than, than you can if you have a whole flock of sheep, for example. They're paying really close attention and, you know, the story might come, you know, quite quickly about exactly what's going on here. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I'll throw a sort of wild card into this. You know, it kind of, in a wee bit of a way, sounds to me that it's, there is a sort of similarity in a way between when we see what we could call pine and sheep, which I believe is associated with, um, cobalt and, and and again it seems to be that it's very geographic you know and we, we're really affected by that here in the Scottish borders and I, I'm not the expert here Beth but that sounds to me like you know there's an environmental there's a geological it's the it's the underlying sort of rock and what comes through the soil and into the grass and that, that has an impact there. I think we might recruit you onto the project, actually, Monty, because... <laughs> oh, this is, I'll, this do the, I may help with the awareness raising, but yeah, I'm no scientist. This is exactly the areas that we're looking at, and that will include mineral analysis, and we will be looking at the geology behind this, um, any sort of um, areas where we have shortages of minerals, like, like cobalt, selenium, copper... These are all really important zinc. These are all really important minerals for for animals. Um, So we can do sort of a geological survey. We've got all that data. We can overlay that with the prevalence cases and start to really look at that will be one of the first areas we can look at quite easily, actually, because all these geological maps and mineral maps exist at the moment. So it's a case of, you say, bringing all of this together. And our idea really for the scientists is as soon as we're allowed... We will go to get all these experts in one room and really thrash this out and really start to see if we can what we can pull from it. And then the direction the research may take using the information from the horse owners, the experience of the expert scientists in every field. And I really think we can make progress. I really do. But it will require us all to work together. And as Yvonne very importantly points out, we have the funds to do it. Um, and that's where it's it's a project for all of us. It's not a project for any one yeah. of us. Yeah, Sylvia, how does that make you feel? You've lost five horses to this. That was, as you say, devastating. Does this bring some sort of hope to you? I'm overly excited about this, Monte, and I'm just so excited to actually be involved with it and be part of it and feel that I've maybe helped it along a little bit by sitting across this table and thrashing out. One of the questions that my husband actually said to me when we were first talking about it was how many ponies or horses a year die of equine grass sickness? And you can't answer that because... There's so many that are being... We don't even know that. No, we don't. And that's where... This is where the the potential of the biobank is 
incredible and and what Beth's saying about everybody being part of it the vets being part of it the where your animals go after they die they you know to be able to salvage the bits that are required to make sure that none none of this data gets lost this is the important part is to try and keep all this data and it's the basis of everything wouldn't you agree Beth oh yes absolutely Sylvia that's the nail on the head it's a whole chain so it will start with the horse owner with the symptoms, with what's happened, with the weather or the lead up to that, the weather, you know, at the time. And then it'll lead on from that to the vet, to the first veterinary investigations, to the haematology, to any of the any of the tests the vets do in their own labs. From that, it will go on to the fallen stock companies. And we have a really good working relationship now with the National Fallen Stock Company who are going to help us through their collectors to enable the post-mortem samples being taken and of course, this is a very emotive thing for horse owners. You know, they've just lost their horse. We're asking for post-mortem samples. So our, our approach here is to engage with the vets and the horse owners right from the word go with this project and with the National Fallen Stock Company and, and the other abattoirs and actually speak through this. Look at the BHS end of life and friend for life schemes that are going now from both the British Horse Society and from World Horse Welfare. And these two big organisations have also been incredibly supportive of what we're doing. Now, these samples will then be available for researchers to look at this disease in much more detail, but not only just have the horse samples, but also to go along with that, have all the environmental samples. Yeah. I guess trying to future-proof it, you know, we, because we don't know the causes and we don't really know all the risk factors, we really need to future-proof the whole project by engaging with experts in different disciplines now. So, for example, the team we have behind us um, supporting the fellow are a massive team of scientists from Morden with all different expertises. So we've got, you know, immunologists, bioinformatics, statisticians, um, trans cryptomic specialists. So we're going to look at everything within the horse and that response. But also on the environmental side, we're engaging with scientists from James Hutter Institute. So we have yeah. a soil forensic expert, fungal experts from the Botanic Gardens, pasture experts from SRUC. So it's by no means, you know, one person's going to solve this. This is going to be a huge team effort. We are talking about... Um Scotland here, but this does, as, as as someone said, it does present itself all down maybe the eastern side of, of the UK, but uh, overseas as well, Beth? Yes, there are, and there actually are some research groups overseas that we're hoping to engage with as well. So a very interesting um, study on genetics come out of Eastern Europe recently, um, massive, massive study with a lot of data. So again, um, at Morden, we have bioinformatics experts that are actually really interested in, in re-looking at that data. Um, there are other groups in, in Italy, um, in Argentina, where it's a uh, it's it's called Malseco in Argentina, but it's it's you know we think the same disease. So of course we will look internationally at the the experts that are working working with it there and also closer to home, um, because we have a lot of expertise within within Scotland and in the vet schools throughout the country, actually, that, that can help with this. Yvonne, Yvonne, this is a hellish, cruel disease. This is terrible to hear about. Um, but, you know, it sounds as though there, there could be light at the end of the tunnel. 
But all of this, all of this research, and all of these bringing people together and taking these samples and and and, and looking at individual cases, etc. It's all going to cost money. Where, where's where's the money going to come from for this? Yeah, I, th- I think grass thickness just takes away everyone's control, um, as I've said before. So the only control we take back as horse owners is fighting it in the way we can. And as Sylvia says, if 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 there's any way you can help whether it become a horse ambassador or allowing samples to be taken, um, if you've got a horse that's impacted, uh, getting in touch so that the we can take samples from that horse, report your case. Um, but funding is, is the easy part that you know we can all have an impact on. Um, and people think fundraising is actually quite difficult and they won't get the support. Make it fun and people will support you. Uh, I'm shaving my head later today and we've got £1,300 in the pot for that. So I'm going from... You're, you're shaving your head later today. You're yeah, doing it today, today after we've recorded this podcast. Yeah. Could we not have had that on the podcast? Goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so maybe you from... can record the sound of the clippers. Maybe you can well, record maybe... the sound of the clippers and we'll put that in as a sound effect. <laughs> Yeah, I'll film that and put it on the uh, my Facebook page, and I'm sure Kate will take great joy in sharing it from the Grass Sickness page. So, um, yeah, I'm going from 24 inches to 13 mil today. I'm going number four. <laughs> I'm worried about taking it to the scalp in case it doesn't grow back. <laughs> so that's 1,300 pound in the pot today for Grass Sickness. Though, uh, you know, my my colleagues can't wait to see me bald. So. You know, they were throwing in anything from £10 to £50 over the last few days. to, um, And I, you know, I said I would cut the ponytail off for anything under 1000 And if it went over 1000 I would take the lot off. So, Well done, you. Well done, you. I think, in a nice snowy I think, day. On a nice snowy day, you'll need the woolly hat. I, I think we might, try and, um, we might try and run that. We'll get this out I of the clippers indeed. for the end of this programme. That would be great. Well... Yvonne was kind enough to share the video of her getting her head shaved. And as promised, here it is. Oh. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I should do this. By the sound of it, it was fun. And it also raised, I think it was 1,800 quid. It doesn't hurt at all. So, honestly, well done, Yvonne. She'll have to keep her hat on. But I certainly take my hat off to her. For more on the work of the Equine Grass Sickness Fund and to donate or volunteer to report your cases, to become more involved, to be more aware of things, there's a lot you can do and it's all there on www.grasssickness.org.uk You'd not not make a hairdresser, Mark. Well, sheep are embarrassed to go out after you've shared them, so... As that continues, I'll just say a regular thank yous to people who've shared and retweeted on Farm News and episodes recently. So, we've got Ruth Taylor, Climate Change Advisor at NFU Scotland, Cramping Growers, Andrew Moyer, as ever, he's the Tweeter-in-Chief, and Beth Wells, who's been a big champion recently too. Right, do you want to do the back? Our friends at Greenburn HR, and I'm sure many others. So, if you're going to tweet about us, we really appreciate it. Make sure you include the handle at on underscore farm UK so we know to say thanks to you in person it really helps us out 
And well done again to Yvonne. That web address again to find out more, get involved or donate is www.grasssickness.org.uk. Join us next time when we'll be talking a bit more about all of this and we'll have a special VIP guest on board to officially launch the Equine Grass Sickness Fund. I'm going to say no more about that for now. So that's it from me and bye for now. Oh dear me, that's the big shave done folks, so thank you very much for your donations. I'm hoping this will be worth it.